question and um, we'll look through the tape and see other things maybe we could have done. But uh, other than that last couple seconds, I thought we put ourselves in a good position to finish it out. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Now, here's your host, Grant Bills. I enjoyed listening to the Brewer game today. It's good to have baseball back on the radio and feeling like we're getting closer to the season. Right? Spring training's fun because... I feel like I'm somewhere warmer, right? All of the cliches about Cactus League and in Grapefruit League. I'm a little bummed the game wasn't on TV today because I missed the game on TV on Saturday. And I was really interested to pay attention to some of the new rules. Like the shift. What does it look like? Right? Does the game feel any different? And the pitch clock. I selfishly want to see TV networks and broadcasters like struggle to work it in. Like, how do you keep us in the loop of where the pitch clock is? How do you help teach us and bring us along as we learn the cutoffs of the pitch clock? you got to be in the box by, you know, X, Y, Z number of seconds. The catcher has to be behind the plate by this time. The pitcher has to have started his motion by this time. I'm all trying to learn this as we go along. I think everybody is. And I wanted to see that today. And then I wanted to talk about it on the show, but I got into work and realized that the game's not on TV. So I tried to pay attention to it through the radio and through listening not really the same. Not really the same thing. But the Brewers did win today. Mike Brasso with a big home run in a big moment. Now, Mike Brasso and the Brewers avoided arbitration. Remember, they settled on a one-year contract to avoid going to arbitration in December. His spring training's off to a great start. Vibes seem to be high with Mike Brasso. I'm not saying. I'm just, I'm just saying. Seems to be working out pretty well. I know it's a cherry-picked example, and I'm mostly kidding. But also, I'm kind of not. I kind of kind of like to avoid arbitration, like to avoid pissing off my players. But what do I know? I'm just a slapdash radio host. I, I, I don't understand the complexities of baseball. Okay. Okay. People are, by the way, very much overreacting to this weekend in baseball. We should talk about that for a minute or two. I want to do a lot of Badgers, a little bit of Bucks, but I, I do want to say a couple things about baseball before the show really gets going. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Hope you had a great weekend. Hope your Monday didn't totally suck. And your week is off to a nice start. We had some Brewers baseball to enjoy this afternoon. So that certainly helps. A win from the Bucks yesterday, which was an awesome game. Brutal gut punch of a loss for our Badgers yesterday. And I want to probably spend most of the show, most of the second hour talking about uh, that Badgers loss. I do want to talk about the Bucks for a couple minutes. But I do want to start just for a couple minutes. If anyone wants to jump in and talk about baseball, anything on the Brewers game today or anything from the weekend, because spring training really got going in full over the weekend, lots of games, not just the Brewers, and it was our first opportunity to see what some of these new rules look like. 608-796-2558. Duckin Holman says, little clock in the bottom right of the screen and lots of regular hits up the middle due to the shift in the first game. Yeah, I like that. You can't see the alignment because the camera obviously is behind the pitcher looking towards home plate. I wouldn't mind, especially in spring training, some more aerial shots. What do the alignments look like? I want to see the alignments. Give me the stationary camera way up on top of some pole somewhere above the press box. I want to see what the alignments look like. Right, so if they can give us a little bit of a peek. I know the cameras traditionally don't focus on the alignments. They show it, right? Different shots throughout the game. Every other batter, like, show me what it looks like. I want to see. I want to see what some of these new rules like. It's 
it's, I think, a bigger motivation this year to watch spring training than maybe previously because we have an opportunity to see some of these new rules in action. This weekend, people were freaking out, losing their minds because there was a Red Sox game against the Braves. It was tied in the ninth inning. And then because there's no extra innings in spring training, a game ended on a pitch clock violation. And I turn on sports radio this morning. I'm like, all right, let's sink our teeth into what was a really nice Bucks win. What was a bummer Badgers game? We got to talk about it. And everyone's outraged over the damn pitch clock. How do you let a game end on that? I don't, it's a scrimmage. I don't care. <laughs> why do you, why do you care? Holy cow. It wasn't even the Brewers. It wasn't even a Brewers game. It was a Red Sox. What were you watching? And you invested two and a half hours into the Braves and Red Sox and you felt robbed because you didn't get a gratifying ending? Shut up. How's that sound? You can't let a game end like that. You, you Trust me. You absolutely can. You can. A spring training game? Oh, yeah. Yep. You, you can let a game end like that. I'm, I'm fine with it. And if you're not, like, take a deep breath. Well, what if it happens in the World Series? It won't. It won't. Also, how nuts are we as sports fans and sports pundits? We're in February, and we see something happen, and we lose our minds because we think, well, what if it happens in November? Well, I, I don't know. It's February. It's not even St. Patrick's Day yet. So can we back off the preemptive outrage a little bit? Uh, like the new rules. I'd like to I'd like to proclaim to be a, a very progressive woke baseball fan. Now I was very against the rules. Very I resist change with every ounce of strength in my body. But once the change happens, then I'm all in. I lay down. That's how I deal with change. I fight tooth and nail to prevent it. But then once it happens, I, I switch sides very quickly. I'm always on the winning side that way. I'm always on the right side of history. That applies, by the way, for most things in my life. If you need to know more about me, I don't own a microwave. I moved into my apartment. It didn't have one. I'm like, well, screw my landlord. They don't want to provide me with a microwave. I'm going to show them that I don't need a microwave. And I've been living without a microwave ever since. It's a little weird, but you do get used to it. Right? I hate making appointments. I absolutely, absolutely despise making appointments. I hate even more going to those appointments then, which is why I don't often do things. I avoid doing anything and everything. Right, with every ounce of strength in my body. And when a clock was suggested to be introduced into baseball, they might add a pitch clock. Well, I hate it. There shouldn't be any clocks in baseball. It's an untimed sport. That's the way it should be. It's the way it's always been. That's what separates baseball and makes it unique from basketball and football and all these sports with clocks. Baseball's untimed. Well, now that they added a clock, I'm all in. Well, let's, let's pick up the pace a little bit. Quit adjusting your jock. Get up there and swing the bat. I got, I got places to be. I'm enjoying the game. Don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm enjoying the game, and I enjoy baseball, and I'm not anti-baseball, and I love the Brewers, and I'm going to watch almost every game this summer, and I can't wait to lose my mind tweeting about them and talking about them on the show. I love it. But let's save ourselves a couple minutes. Why not? And one month into the season, we're probably not even going to think about it because everyone's going to get used to it. So I, I guess I just, I was a little annoyed this morning when I woke up and turned on sports radio, and the, the first thing I heard was, well, what if this happens in a World Series? I don't I don't know. It's, it's what, eight months away? Like, we, we got some time between now and then. Jared and DeForest says, how about Mitchell start? Awesome to see. Yeah, Hedbert Perez, David Gasper's boy with two hits tonight as well. Uh, they have a player named Sky Bolt on the roster. I must have missed that page in the preseason preview book that I totally read. I totally prepared. Uh, Chuck in Alaska says, football has an all-22 camera showing all players on the field. Baseball should have an all-nine camera. Elite text, Chuck. I agree. Especially in spring training. 
here, here's here's what how baseball has to think. Why are people watching spring training games? We're watching spring training games because we have free time, because we miss baseball, because we live somewhere cold and miserable, and we want to like get some warm weather and a warmer climate by osmosis. Sure, but I think a lot of people this year are watching spring training to get a little bit of exposure to the new rules that we've read about and that we've heard about, and everyone's so fired up about. What's this pitch clock business? Well, what's this banning the shift business? I got to see this. So let's cater the broadcast a little bit to that. I want to see what the alignments look like. Maybe some uh, some before and after shots. Maybe get, compare some some footage from last year or the year before to footage this year. Show me how it's different. Write this down if you're listening. Right, I'm giving this out for free. Show us what has changed. Because I think there's going to be a lot of people who maybe wouldn't watch spring training games. Maybe going to watch a game or two this spring because they want to see how it looks different. But yeah, Garrett Mitchell started. We got to see some of the young guys, Bryce Terang, Hedbert Perez, or as uh, Josh Bauer said it, Hedbert Perez, because he just refuses to say anyone's name like everyone else. That guy's just got to be different. And again, I would I would tell that to his face. If he was in this room, if Josh Bauer was in this room, I'd be like, Josh, I think you do a really good job calling games. Where do you get off just tweaking names differently? Like, we could all agree that someone's name is John Smith, and you'd be like, it's Jan Smythe. No, it's not, Josh. Why do you do that? Why do you feel the need? Please stop. So when I heard Maurer on the call earlier today, I'm like, oh. Christian, it's a good thing Christian Yelish isn't playing. Luis Urias. But we did get Hedbert Perez. Maybe that's how it's said. I don't know. I just like to go with the flow. If everyone's doing one thing, I like to also do that thing. It's wisdom of the masses. Edbert Perez. I thought that was his name. Josh Maurer says, uh-uh. I'll, I will be the one to decide how we say people's names. And that's how it will work. Thank you, Josh. Uh, may I call you Maurer? Josh Maurer? Would you like that? No, I bet you don't like that, Josh. That's annoying as hell, isn't it? Uh, Kevin in Alaska says, the players brought this change on themselves. I'm in favor for all but the larger bases. Kevin, I don't mean to be argumentative here at all. That seems like the one rule change that everyone like agreed was great. Fewer injuries, right? Easier to slide into, less little broken bones on the fingers, right? Those nagging finger injuries, those are the worst. Why are you against bigger bases? Can we can we get a follow-up? That's just, uh, that's so you, you're in favor of all of the rules except for the one rule that everyone is like, sure, why not? Make the bases bigger. It'll be safer. Uh, follow up with that. I'm, I'm curious, Kevin. No, I like the rule changes. Again, it's not that I need baseball to be done in an hour and 20 minutes. I like baseball, and there will be nights this summer where I have nothing to do on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, or most nights, to be honest, because I don't really do anything. I will come home. I will sit down, and I'm in no rush for the Brewer game to end. I'm just, I'm in no rush. I'm not going anywhere. I got no plans. But then there are nights where I'm like, you know, maybe I want to get a a thing or two done. Maybe I want to... We want to go outside and, I don't know, go for a walk, see the sun once in a while. I don't mind that the baseball game takes up a good chunk of my night, but we don't need to waste time. Sometimes with baseball, it's like it waves in your face how long it takes. We don't need that. I'm patient. I'll sit and watch a game. I, I'm, I'm down for it, but let's not go over the top. Like, we don't need the batting gloves all the time. Get up there, get your sign, and let's, let's go. Efficiency. I like efficiency. I'm not trying to cut like I don't want to shorten the game like let's go to let's go to eight innings. Oh, that that's dumb. We're keeping baseball baseball. We're just cutting out some of the inefficiencies, some of the crap, right? I like that. 
Rockin' Rick says, Mitchell has picked up where he left off last year with three dongs already. I think he gunned a guy at home today, too. Well, uh, it'd be nice if he could keep that up because between potentially uh, Jesse Winker and Christian Yelich, I would like to have at least one strong throwing arm in the outfield. So if Garrett Mitchell could be that guy in center, also a very good-looking guy. I will always bring that up. That helps for team vibes. That helps watchability. He's a good-looking guy. I like the beard. Not too much, but just enough. That's my approach to beards as well. Just just enough to show people, like, I could totally grow a really good beard if I want, but it's not practical. It's itchy. I, I like feeling a little bit cleaner, but I'm going to leave a, a certain level of beard just to remind you all that I'm capable of growing one. I, that's my favorite approach to facial hair. It's the life that I lead, and I think Garrett Mitchell is on that train as well. So that's talking facial hair and outfielders, if you have thoughts on the Brewer game today. I'll read you Adam McAlvey's tweet to summarize if you're just joining the show. The Brewers trailed 4 nothing after four innings, but beat the Royals 10-4. Seven of the nine RBIs came from top uh, Garrett Mitchell, Perez, Jefferson Cuero, and Tyler Black. Quote, the young guys kind of delivered the blow today. Well, <laughs> Craig Council said that was fun to watch. Uh, so as Josh Maurer would say, Garrett Mitchell, uh, Hedbert Perez, uh, Jefferson Correro and uh, Tyler Block. So that's how he would say those names. This is a weird nitpicky thing, I know, but when you listen to as much baseball as I do, it's it's grating. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy it. I don't like people who need to be that guy. It's one of my pet peeves. I always bring up my pet peeves on the show. right? I don't like when people play dumb for the sake of a take. Uh, that's a big one of mine. And I don't like when people have to be that guy. Just don't be that guy. Why am I noticing you? I don't want to notice you. I don't want to notice the thing that you're doing or the thing that you're saying. Why do you have to separate yourself and be that guy? It's just how I feel about Josh Bauer. 608-796-2558. Kevin, waiting on the follow-up on the bigger bases because I'm I'm actually very curious. Maybe there's some baseball principle behind that that I don't know. Like, I didn't grow up playing baseball. I did it for one summer. I think I hated it and uh, made my parents miserable. Like, mom, dad, I don't want to play. And they're like, we're, we're doing this for you. Like, we're, we're trying to get you into it. Like, well, I don't want to go. It's like, well, you're gonna. And then after that summer, I just never did. So maybe the bigger bases, maybe there's some deeper rooted baseball meaning on why baseball people are against that. I don't know, Kevin, follow up and let me know. Let's take a three minute break. I want to come back. We'll put a lid on the baseball conversation. And I want to talk bucks. And I want to talk badgers because two basketball games yesterday, one was incredible. And one made me never want to watch basketball. Again, so that's coming up. Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. Glad you're here. Thanks for hanging out. We just wrapped up Brewer game, spring training. The game wasn't on TV, and it was nice to listen, but I really want to see games this spring because I want to see what the pitch clock looks like. I want to see how they work it into the score bug. I love score bugs. Like, I love when networks redesign score bugs. I love when networks do a special score bug for the Super Bowl. I always look forward to what they roll out when the game starts. It's like, what have they been cooking up? What do they got? Ooh, new score bug. I always love that. I want to see how... Regional sports networks and at some point national broadcasts work the pitch clock into the score bug and kind of keep the viewer looped in on on 
what is going to happen if said player doesn't do this by this time, because it's a learning curve for all of us. I do not care that there was a game decided on a pitch clock violation on Saturday. Actually, I don't know that there's anything in the world that I could care about less than that. And if you're upset about that, I just, I got to tell you, find a new slant. There's so many things to be upset about in sports. I have many. I have a list. I have a list. I could fill up a legal pad with all the things that make me angry about sports. I could fill up a thousand pages of things and not write a spring training game being decided on a pitch clock violation. Well, what if it happens in a playoff game? Well, it won't. I guarantee you it won't. I bet you money right now. It won't because the players very quickly are going to pick up on this. It's going to become second nature. And the pitch clock is is almost going to be like this brown thing we don't even think about because it'll kind of shape the pace of the game. Games will speed up just a little bit. I don't think it's going to be dramatic. I mean, take away 15, 20 minutes a game. Just cut out a lot of the BS that we don't pay attention to anyways. The things that are the, the time and, and the actions that are going to be removed from the game are going to be things that we don't care about or think about anyways because it's a guy adjusting his bat, pulling up his socks, you know, crap like that. 608-796-2558 if you want to call or text the show. We got to talk about basketball because yesterday... Well, yesterday was a great reminder of how much I love the sport of basketball. It was also a great reminder of how much I hate the sport of basketball. Such a stupid... It's the stupidest sport, maybe. It's also the best sport. I love it. It's my favorite sport. It also should go away because I hate it so much. The Bucks game was a dream. What a treat. Oh, the Bucks were in the lead, and then they weren't, and then they fought back, and it came down to the wire against the team that they met in the NBA Finals two years ago, and it even came down to Drew Holiday versus Devin Booker again, like a couple of those final games came down to. It's like, oh, this is great. I love this. And then the Badgers game happened, and that made me want to end it all. So a real yin and yang. Let's start with the Bucks, and then I think we can probably spend the last half hour or so of the show complaining about Wisconsin and uh, firing Greg Gard takes back and forth. Uh, pun not intended. I don't want to talk about firing Greg Gard. I want to talk about Greg Gard and fire some takes off, but I don't want to talk about firing Greg Gard. The Bucks and the Suns are two teams that have done it the right way. Right? Ownership excluded because you could nitpick Robert Sarver, obviously, and now the Bucks are partially owned by Jimmy Haslam, so I guess you could complain about that. Alex Lazary's slightly obnoxious too, but eh, harmless enough. The, the Bucks and the Suns are two teams that have done it the right way. Absolutely. I'd say the NBA's best. If the NBA wanted to showcase two teams that have been doing it the right way the last couple of years, I think you would showcase the Suns and the Bucks, which is why it's pretty cool, I think, that they met in the finals. The Bucks drafted Giannis. They acquired Middleton. They basically developed both of those players from nothing, right? Put in the work to grow their team slowly. They found Brooke Lopez at a discount. He was a mid-level exception player, identified what a great fit he was, made him like Milwaukee, made him comfortable in his role, and then signed him long-term. And then they fired their all-in bullet for Drew Holiday. Every team has one of those bullets to fire. You can do the picks trade once, where we'll give you three first-rounders, two pick swaps, a couple of them unprotected. You can do that trade once. The Bucks did it for Drew Holiday, and it worked. Masterful team building. The Suns drafted Devin Booker 13th. Same neighborhood as Giannis, not a lock by any means. They traded for CP3. At the time, not a lot of suitors for CP3. Relative discount. I'm not going to call him a diamond in the rough because he was Chris Paul. But for the acquisition of a superstar, diamond in the rough of sorts. 
they drafted Mikhail Bridges, which seems obvious, except the Sixers who had him in their own backyard didn't even want to do that. And then they use Bridges and their picks to go all in for KD. They fire their bullet for Kevin Durant. The Bucks fired their bullet for Drew Holiday. Both the Bucks and the Suns have built slowly. They haven't overreacted to losses by making sweeping roster changes. Something that really annoyed me at the end of the last decade, like the Houston Rockets, they had Chris Paul, and they came up short in a conference finals. They absolutely should have won. The shooting luck dried up. It was a brutal loss for them. They didn't need to overreact by getting rid of Chris Paul and bringing in Russell Westbrook, but they did because that's the modern NBA. If something doesn't work out once, blow it up, go somewhere else. God forbid you should try again. God forbid you should try a third time with the same roster. Brooklyn, much of the same. James Harden got there, very quickly wanted to leave. Kyrie wanted to leave multiple times. Kevin Durant wanted to leave. It's like, let's just let's let things percolate a little bit. Let's let the roster mellow. You might have a playoff run where it doesn't work out. That's fine. That's fine. Keep the chemistry. Come back next year. Work on things that you can work on. Have the players develop and try again. And the Bucks have done that. They were rewarded with a title. The Suns are doing that. And I sneaky kind of think that at some point, they could be rewarded with the title. We'll have to wait and see. Two of the NBA's best franchises who've done things the way you'd want any team to do it the last couple of years. Now, no Giannis, no Kevin Durant yesterday, but the teams themselves and what those teams represent, oh, it's great. And Holiday and Chris Middleton carried the load yesterday. I've said it once. I'll say it again. I tweeted this yesterday at Wisco Grant. Chris Middleton's playmaking remains so underrated. Even among Bucks fans, because we talk about his three-point shooting or we talk about his ball handle, like we focus on all these things. Do you ever watch Chris Middleton distribute? Do you ever watch him at the top of the key with the ball, watch the offense and find a spot to put the ball? He's such a good distributor. He's such a good playmaker. And if you don't know what I mean by playmaking, it's kind of an abstract idea. It's not just passing. It's passing within the flow of the offense. Playmaking could be Chris Middleton's driving to the bucket, not looking to pass. Oh, changes his mind. Now he sees a good outlet for a pass, dumps it off for an assist, right? Or makes a pass that leads to another pass that leads to a bucket. Playmaking, right? Being the engine of the offense, operating the pick and roll, operating an out-of-timeout play. Coach Bud, by the way, drew up a beautiful play that went Chris Middleton to Brooke Lopez, and then they got that late bucket. Beautiful. Chris Middleton was operating it. His playmaking is so underrated, and he doesn't need to run faster than anyone. He doesn't need to jump higher than anyone because he's not this otherworldly athlete, but he's a really smart basketball player. He operates at his own speed. Now, he did make some nice shots yesterday, but his playmaking continues to blow me away, and I I don't think enough Bucks fans talk about that. We got to talk about Drew Holiday, too. He sealed the game on defense yesterday, guarding Devin Booker, because, of course, he did. He always does. That's his thing. I tweeted yesterday, make the new NBA logo Drew Holiday defending Devin Booker. Because I, as I watched yesterday, I was like, wow, I saw this in the finals. I see this every time the Bucks play the Suns, right? I'm not going to say it's iconic, but it's it's very familiar, right, for these two fan bases watching these two teams match up. And Drew even alluded after the game to Cassidy Hubbard. He's like, yeah, there's a little rivalry there. It's not a, a familiar rivalry. They're not in the same division. They're not in the same conference, but... There's a history and there's something behind it. And Drew Holiday has often been at the forefront of this rivalry, depending and defending, excuse me, Devin Booker. Drew scored 33. (laughs) Let's forget his defense for a sec. He scored 33, including 13 in the fourth quarter. He was five of seven in the fourth quarter, two of three from three, 
He did have one turnover, but that was it. His usage was really high. He just levels up in crunch time. Now, I'm tempted to think and argue that he's gotten better and more refined offensively since the Bucks made that finals run in 2021. Because he seems, when I watch him, to be more efficient, to be more consistent night in and night out. Maybe that's because it's the regular season. I texted Justin, our, our friend Justin Garcia, who's with the Bucks and the Bucks Reader Network today. I said, would it be fair to think that Drew Holiday's gotten better the last few years? And Justin kind of pushed back. He's like, well, he's always been this guy. His usage has just gone up. And, and you can look at his shooting splits and his numbers. And like he's actually below some seasons that he's been in the past. When I watch him, let me come up with a statistic. Anybody can do it, right? Anybody and everybody these days is cooking up a statistic to inflate Nikola Jokic's MVP, you know, odds, whether it's Raptor or, you know, Braun or whatever these metrics are. I would like to come up with a statistic, if I may. It's called the Grant Trust metric. How comfortable I feel with certain players having the ball in their hand late in games. Drew Holiday is, is a 10 out of 10 in this metric right now. And that wasn't the case two years ago. Maybe that's a me problem, but it's my metric. I can measure it however I want. That's what's beautiful about this. A couple years ago in the playoffs, Drew Holiday would drive, and I'd be like, because eh. it didn't always look great, and it wasn't hyper-efficient, and he would have bad nights, and he'd have ugly moments. I just feel better about him two years later when he's operating in the clutch, and he's taking pull-up threes, and he's driving in crunch time. I just feel more comfortable. I just feel more confident that the shot is going to go in. That's my own metric. That's my own eye test. That's my own experience. I'm sharing with you my experience and my perception of the situation. I know the numbers wouldn't necessarily back that up. But Drew Holiday is a more trustworthy offensive contributor now in my eyes than he was last year or the year before. And that gets me pretty excited for the playoffs because Chris Middleton's slowly getting a little healthier and it is slow. Trust me, it is taking forever. But he's getting there. And Giannis knocked knees with the guy the other night. What are you going to do? That's bad luck that happens. That's not load management. That's not today's NBA. That's an injured guy. But the way that this team is starting to coalesce and how great Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez was brilliant in crunch last night, too. Joe Ingles, I thought, had nice moments in crunch time. And he's been the odd man out in some of those bigger minutes because the other team will target him defensively. Joe Ingles in crunch time and in the fourth quarter, very smooth offensively. His playmaking is really underrated, as is Chris Middleton's. I don't know. Yesterday's Bucks game was a treat, and I love basketball. Now, the Badger game was the complete opposite and made me want to never watch sports again. Let's talk about that game. The Badgers giving one away to Hunter Dickinson in Michigan yesterday. Let's talk about that, and I want to hear from you. 608-796-2558. Let's talk Badgers basketball next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. My name is Grant Bills. Matt and Eau Claire. Matt, I remember your text from last week. Yeah, we were just talking a little bit about the Bucks beating the Suns yesterday before we took that last break. Remember, Matt was going to the game, and he texted last week. He said, I hope Giannis plays. I hope Durant plays because I'm taking my kid. It's three and a half hours from Eau Claire. 
Well, neither one of them played, but Matt had a great time. This is what Matt said. He said, it was incredible, all caps. It's important. Our seats were row two behind the basket. He had a great view. Too bad Giannis and KD didn't play, but a great experience. Already want to go again and go Bucks. Yeah, it was such a good game. I said it out loud, audibly, a couple times. I was like, this is an awesome basketball game. This is a great basketball game. And then my day was quickly ruined by what happened in Michigan at the Chrysler Center with the Badgers. We should probably talk about that. Thanks for the text, Matt. 608-796-2558. can text and call the show there. I'm on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. We've talked baseball. We've talked bucks, things that I very much enjoy. We should probably do the Badgers. Thing. All right, let's shift to this. So that was hell yesterday, and I'm still upset about it. I've ruined my day. It ruined my night, too. Like, I thought about it when I was going to sleep. I thought about it when I woke up today. That's a great example of how devastating a game of basketball can be and how when basketball doesn't go your way, how miserable it is and how much I hate it. We can talk about all sorts of details, right? The value of Chucky Hepburn when he left the game. Mari McGee, we get to, whatever you want to talk about. We can talk about the decision to not foul, the decision to foul. You just can't lose that game against that team. Michigan's fighting for attorney spot. Wisconsin's fighting for attorney spot. You're up three points with less than two seconds to play. You can't lose that game. You have to execute. You have to talk it over. You have to, whatever you have to do to win that game, I don't care. But you have to do it well. You have to do it clearly. It has to be communicated and you got to go out and execute and you can't lose that game. It's just inexcusable. And I did my Greg Guard gauge yesterday, which is like a fun bit. And anytime there's a, a big result one way or another, the Badgers get a big win or they get a big loss. I think people discover my Twitter account. I don't know how. And they see this gauge that's saying to fire Greg Gard and they don't get the bit. So then they start arguing with my mentions and it's, it's this whole thing. I don't care how I feel about Greg Gard. I don't care how you feel about the decision to not foul up three points. Greg Gard said they tried to foul and we'll hear from Greg Gard in, in a minute or two. Whatever the decision is, whatever the strategy is, up three with less than two seconds to play, you need to go out and execute it because you can't lose that game. You can't. You cannot lose that game. And they lost. It's just inexcusable. That was the word that I kept saying with my friends after the game, texting a couple of friends who were big Badgers fans and, and talking to my parents who we had to see yesterday. I was like, it's inexcusable. That, that was the word I kept using, inexcusable. You just can't lose that game. Well, they got a little in like, I, I don't care. You can't lose a game. Well, it didn't, it didn't go there with bounce of the ball. It's a curse team. I, yeah, I do think this team this year has had some bad luck. And I think they're cursed a little bit. They've had some bad injury luck. They've had bad timing. All these things have gone against them. You still can't lose that game. And I don't mean to be so reductive and so basic. And I don't mean to boil it down to one set. But you cannot lose that game. Everything else is detail. And I think Greg Gard knows it. I watched his press conference this afternoon. He looked so defeated. And he spoke very intelligently on everything that happened. And he talked about all the good things that his guys did. And I think they did lots of good things. I agree with them in the second half. They fought really hard. And they put themselves in position to win an unbelievably important game. And they put themselves up a full three points with less than two seconds to go in a really, really difficult road environment without their point guard. And then they pissed it away because they weren't clear on what they were supposed to execute. They weren't all on the same page. I don't know that I agree with their decision to not foul on that inbound, 
bringing the ball up the court. I know Greg Hart said they wanted to foul. Well, try harder then. If the, if the goal was to foul, make the official make the call. Right? Because, because when you're half in, well, I, I want to get the foul, but I don't want to foul too hard. No, no, no. You are all in or you are all out. If you're going to foul, foul. And foul so obviously that the referees have no choice but to call it. If you're not going to foul, then go all in on that mentality and execute that mentality. This is an issue of execution. It's an, I think it's an issue of clarity. I don't, I don't know that everyone is on the same page. Yes, I'm talking about my guy, Jordan Davis. It guts me. I have no clue what he was doing playing that inbound the way that he did. They did so many good things in that second half. And Greg Gard talked about him after the game yesterday, and I could tell how gutted he was. I've, I haven't seen him like that in a press conference this year, and they've lost some tough games. I, all that to say, like, I just I, I just think I, I would have fouled. I know it didn't work out. I'm not trying to play the results here. I just would have fouled. I would have fouled against Penn State. I would have fouled against Penn State. I would have fouled in other moments this season where they haven't. Penn State shoots the three well enough. Michigan is at home. It's almost March. College basketball is so fluky. When Hunter Dickinson let that ball go, I know in the back of your mind, you're like, ah, it's going in. Because of course it's going in. It's college basketball, and it's almost March, and this is what happens in college basketball. It's fluky. So why invite the fluke into the scenario? Why let them get a shot up, even if it's a low percentage shot, when you could put them at the line, when you could do anything else, when you could take that flukiness out of the situation? I think of the end of the Wake Forest game. When the Badgers were down one possession and the Wake Forest team, they wouldn't let Chucky Hepburn get a shot up. They just wouldn't let him. They said, you are not getting a shot up over us. We're not going to let you. We're going to make you shoot free throws and you can try to miss and get the rebound, but we're going to take out the flukiness from this situation. And we're going to make this a game of free throws. We're going to make this a game of time management and we're going to take any any March Madness feel away from this. That's what I would have done. I would have done it against Penn State. They were lucky to get out of that game with a win the way the Penn State Penn State shoots the three. Obviously, they were going to be lucky to get out of yesterday's game, too. Greg Gard talked after the game, and maybe we should get a little context from what Greg Gard said. He was asked if it was their intention to foul on the final play. Not when they were bringing the ball up, but on the final play, on the inbound. Not in that decision situation, no, because it was going to be catch shot, and you're risking already foul on the floor. But, uh, you know, we're not. We made a play on the ball that we shouldn't have made. Shouldn't have made a play on the ball and we on the pass. So any up So I know where Greg Gard's coming from on the inbound. Like you don't want to foul as they're shooting, then don't foul where they're shooting. So I I love Greg Gard. Let me make this very clear. I really like Greg Gard. I think it's a little stubborn to just as a rule of thumb never foul up three. And I'm, again, pulling back from the Penn State game where I was frustrated with the way they handled that. I thought they were really lucky to get out of there the way that Penn State shoots the three. Take that out of the equation. Don't let them make a magical shot. Don't open that door. It might be a low percentage look. It might not be a high percentage shot or a great shot, but it's a shot nonetheless. Take away the shot. I felt the same way yesterday. He's like, well, you risk this, you risk that. Then execute it well. Wisconsin used to be known for executing things. They used to be known for operating offense with precision. We're going to we're going to be patient. We're going to be crisp. We're not going to turn the ball over. We're not going to make dumb fouls. We're going to shoot more free throws than they they have fouls or whatever the dumb rule of thumb was. Right? This used to be what Wisconsin was good at. And Greg Gard, I think still adheres to a lot of those principles. I think he is Wisconsin and he is what Wisconsin has been because anytime 
somebody takes a shot, Chucky Hepburn at the end of the game, or Steven Crowell taking that top of the key three in overtime last night. And Gardo was asked about it. He's like, you got to trust what your guys feel, and you got to trust their actions and their decisions on the floor. Then trust your guys' ability to make a play and to foul someone near half court. And the burden of proof for someone jacking a shot as the buzzer is off as they're fouled, it's pretty high. It's it's pretty high. Like, you need to get an honest-to-goodness look. You can't just throw your arms up. And we see that in the NBA a lot. I think we see even more in college basketball because referees are like, we're not giving you that. We're not counting that. Right. We're just we're not letting we're not letting that fly. You were fouled. You had no intention of shooting that shot. That's not a regular shot. Right. That clip of uh, of who was it? Who coaches at Georgetown? Uh, Ewing. Right in the huddle a couple of years ago. Remember, he's like, what is that shot? Do you practice that shot? Do you work on that shot? Right. I would foul on those shots because I think the burden of proof is so high for the offensive player to actually get the call. And Greg Art has talked about over and over, I got to trust my guys' decisions. I got to trust what they do. Except in that moment. Now, Jordan Davis screwed the pooch. He was asked what Jordan Davis ideally should have done on that inbound play. Stay between him and the rim. Because that's the only way he gets an open look at the three. Is if we don't come up with it and, and take a chance on it. You know how I know Jordan Davis botched that? Is because his answer was so concise. Right? If Greg Art is asked, well, what should have Jordan Davis done and he goes into some long spiel it's like well ideally in that situation with that much clock right we want to position ourselves in such a way to force this to go here like some long convoluted answer it was simple he said stay between him and the basket rule of thumb rule of basketball thumb so how is that not clear when you break that huddle how is that not mutually understood by every player on the floor most of all jordan davis who's going to be coming off the switch who's probably going to be guarding the guy that they want taking the shot how is that not abundantly clear to him? A save there, <clears throat> excuse me, really doesn't get you all that much. If you knock the ball out of bounds, then they're going to be inbounding it again. It's a similar situation, right? Like a steal, the, the payoff is just not enough. It's the classic Dante DiVincenzo play. He did that against Philly one time, and it cost the Bucks a win. They had to go to overtime. It was a game they eventually won anyways. I remember it. But, like, I immediately thought of Dante DiVincenzo in this play. But that has to be abundantly clear to Jordan Davis. You need to drill that into his head in that timeout that Juwan Howard took. He said, Jordan Davis, all of our top of the key defenders, how are we going to defend this inbound? You stay between your man and the basket. And I can tell that that was probably broached at one point or another because his answer here was so concise. What should have Jordan Davis done? Stay between him and the rim. Stay between him and the rim. You see how easy that was for him to answer? Because that's the only way he gets an open look at the three is if we don't come up with it and, and take a chance on it. It's not hard. It's not hard. So I guess my frustration also lies with Jordan Davis here, but they are just kids. Like, coach them harder to understand that. You can't get out-executed by a team that's coached by Jawan Howard. He's a bozo. He's a meathead. He's not a real coach. Now I'm just saying things. I'm frustrated. Greg Gard said, well, we were trying to foul on the original inbound when Kamari McGee was fouling the ball up the floor. And we were trying to foul up the floor coming up in the last, you know, seven, eight seconds. Um, I'll have to look back through the tape. I don't know what we need to do to get a foul. Obviously, to the borderline of tackling. But, yes, before that, yep, we were were fouling up three. um, And, obviously, they didn't call it. We didn't foul hard enough, apparently. But, uh, you know, just uh, I'll find the positives in the film out and and move forward from it said to battle back from 
10, 12 down, whatever we were in a, in a hostile environment um, with your starting point guard goes down. So um, there's a lot of good things that happened today. You know, the last two seconds of regulation or whatever um, is not one of them. And we got to learn from that and not make those same miscues in crucial times. He's right. Second half was brilliant. Without their point guard, they played extra physical. They ratcheted up the intensity. And in a really tough place to play, they put themselves right in the driver's seat to get a big win. Go back to the Cole Center this week with a big matchup against Purdue to have some momentum to sweep your rival Michigan and really stomp them in a place where it's almost impossible for them to make the tourney. By the way, Lenardi today had Wisconsin in and Michigan out. They really could have done a, 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 a confirmation of that yesterday. And they did such a great job in the second half, and then they pissed it away with two seconds left. Right, Jordan Davis not correctly playing the inbound. I just would have fouled. I don't think it's that hard. I don't think it's that hard. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that complicated. I don't think it's that hard. But I really like Greg Gard. I thought they misplayed it against Penn State. They were lucky to escape. Uh, they misplayed it yesterday. I thought they misplayed it yesterday in a couple of different ways. Like the, the amount of things they, in my opinion, messed up in those two seconds. It's it's pretty hard. And a very, very impressive game goes to waste. It would be one thing if they didn't get swept by Northwestern, but they did. It would be one thing if they didn't blow a 17-point lead to Nebraska. Like, moral victories are not an option. Moral moral victories don't count at this point in the season. Not for this team. Not where they are. It's really maddening the way that that game. This might be the most upset I've been over a Badgers loss this year. This might be the most upset I've been over Badgers, Bucks, Packers. It's different. There's just fewer games. This, This game sucked. And it just can't happen. It can't happen. It's inexcusable. You can't lose that game. And they did. Let's take a three-minute break. We'll wrap up the Wisco Sports Show next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Last couple of minutes, I'm just so pissed off about that Badger game yesterday. It was so avoidable. It's so avoidable. Just do a couple of things right, you win the game. And the Badgers let a really good second half go to waste and a brilliant performance by Max Klesman, by the way, which is something I didn't mention. He was outstanding yesterday. I wish he would have been defending Hunter Dickinson on the last possession instead of Jordan Davis because he probably would have. As Greg Hart said, stay between your man and the ball. Poking the ball out of bounds does nothing for you. It gives them another inbound. Total Dante DiVincenzo move to go for the steal. Hector Nonalaska texts in, says, did you enjoy the thriller between your Kings and my Clippers? Yeah, it could have been the game of the year. Yeah, but that's what the Kings do. They're the greatest show on hardwood right now. They're electric. Awesome weekend in the NBA. I know that's probably not what you came here to talk about. It's amazing. You give the NBA players one week off, they get their vacation, they get their all-star break, they come back. We get the game of the year between the Kings and the Clippers where both teams score like 190 points. The Mavericks blew a 27-point lead to the Lakers. Is that it? And did you see what Jason Kidd said after the game? Oh, I love it. Do you see what he said? I retweeted it on Saturday night at Wisco Grant. He said, we're a young team. We got a lot of growing to do. Oh, boy, I love this song. Oh, I used to listen to this song three, four nights a week. When the Bucks would lose some stupid game and then Jason Kidd would haul his stupid bald head to the podium 
You say, well, you know, we're a young team. I, uh, I, I'm just, I'm just trying to grow with these guys. That's but I don't know. I don't have a good Jason kid. Your team's not that young, Jason. Your team's not that young. Kyrie Irving's thirty. All right, Reggie Bullock, he's thirty. Luka Doncic has been playing professional basketball since he's been like five years old. Your team's not that young, Jason. I know what you're doing. I know what you're up to, buddy. Cue ball. <laughs> we're a young team. It's happening again. It's just happening somewhere else. Oh, it's so funny. I got a text here, and I don't know who it's from, but why don't we end with one minute on baseball here. It says, how does the MLB think they're going to speed up the game with the pitch clock if they ban the shift? I'm not a fan of the shift, but in theory, the shift put the defense in a better position to get an out, correct? Doesn't getting an out theoretically speed up the game versus giving up a base hit, which extends an inning? Seems to me those two things cancel each other out, which puts us right where we were from a duration perspective. But banning the shift, you likely get more offense, which is more exciting. So MLB pulled a ninja mind trick on everyone. I don't know if it's just about shortening games. I think that will be a a, a nice plus of this, right? Where we're going to have a, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. They're cutting out a lot of the wasted time and wasted energy. Pitchers just walking laps around the mound and batters farting around in the in the box. But yeah, I think you kind of answer your own question in this. The pitch clock helps speed up the game. Banning the shift puts the ball in play. So there's more action. I don't think baseball has a duration issue. Some games get really long, but I don't think baseball fans have a huge problem with that. I think what sucks is when a game is three hours long, three and a half hours long, and nothing happens. And banning the shift helps correct that problem. Pitch clock helps speed it up a little bit. So I think all of these new rules in concert are going to make for a better product. I know people are mad about it. People need something to be mad about. Today, everyone's mad that a game, a scrimmage this weekend ended on a pitch clock violation and that Jimmy Haslam is buying into the Milwaukee Bucks. Again, we always need something to be upset about. I'm upset about the Badgers losing yesterday. Sorry, I'm the weird one on Wisconsin Sports Radio. I was thrilled about the Bucks win. Don't need to talk about Jimmy Haslam. I'll just talk about that awesome win they got yesterday over the Suns. Outstanding game. Made me love basketball. And then the Badgers made me hate basketball about an hour later. Brutal. Tomorrow, we're going to talk a little more Badgers. I'm hoping to get Zach Heilpert on the show. We'll see. We'll see. Might get him in studio. I'll explain tomorrow. Maybe we'll get David Gasper. Talk some Brewers as it is Tuesday. Have an awesome night. It's good NBA games on. I'll talk to you tomorrow at 4.